Chapter Five of Neighbours by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. At her own door, Miss Malvina paused. How was she to explain the flat parcel and its alien contents to Ma? Never cross a bridge till you get to it, she muttered, and moved cautiously around to the back door with the unformulated idea of concealing Mrs. Buckthorn's Parisian costume in the wash boiler till Ma should be safely in bed. To her surprise, the door of the kitchen stood wide open, admitting the freakish April wind in furious gusts. Why, Ma Bennett, began Miss Malvina rebukingly, if you don't catch an awful cold with all this fresh air in the house. Then she saw that the kitchen fire was almost out and fell to mending it vigorously. I guess Ma just stepped over to one of the neighbours, she assured herself, and the wind blowed the door open. Mrs. Bennett herself confirmed this hypothesis a moment later. I been in next door, she announced, as she dropped the heavy woolen shawl from her shoulders. It's awful fresh here, Ma, cautioned her daughter. I found the back door wide open. Mrs. Bennett sneezed three times in rapid succession. I guess I catch my death all right, she said complacently. Where you been, Malviny? Me? Oh, I been round town and round. I got some grand news for you, Ma. What? Philura Pettibone's got a baby, Ma. Come to town this morning. A boy, and he weighs ten pounds. Born on a Friday, commented the old lady, and a minister's son at that. That ain't gonna hurt him none, contended Miss Bennett, glancing sideways at the incriminating parcel which she had neglected to conceal. Ain't you glad, Ma? I'm tickled most of pieces. To think of Philura at her age with a real baby all her own. Mrs. Bennett was not listening. She moved stiffly across the floor. Come here, Malviny, she bade her daughter. Look there, will you? Miss Bennett peered through the small-paned window in obedience to her mother's pointing finger. I declare, looks like there is a light next door, she said. There is. Land, I ain't seen a light over there for, oh, let me see. It'll be two years come June, wheezed Mrs. Bennett. They moved in this afternoon, just after you went downtown. I was settin' by the kitchen window when I seen em come. Now I guess you're sorry you went off and stayed two hours. Yes, you did, Malviny. Two hours be the clock, and me here all by myself. No thanks to you, I ain't dropped dead in my tracks, Malviny Bennett, with you off parading the streets like you was sixteen. Now, Ma, don't take on, pleaded the little dressmaker. I, I was kept. I won't do it again. Who's moved into Valora Rice's house, Ma? I declare I thought nobody had ever lived there again. It's a kind and gloomy with all them trees in the yard, and all the old rose bushes and syringes growed most of the second story windows. You couldn't guess if you was to try a year, <laughs> croaked Mrs. Bennett, and then she lowered her voice to an incriminating whisper. They're foreigners. What's more, I'll bet anything they're Catholics. 
Miss Malvina had gathered her cloak and with it the unfinished costume imperfectly concealed beneath its scant folds. "'What you got done up in that newspaper so careful, Malviny?' demanded the old lady, suddenly alert. "'Did you find out the name of them strange folks, Ma, and where they come from?' parried her daughter. "'And how do you happen to get acquainted so sudden?' "'Oh, the girl come over to borrow a pitcher of drinking water, and I went over to show her how to start the pump.' "'What's in your newspaper bundle, Malviny?' Miss Bennett hastily reconsidered her previous resolve. "'I guess I may as well tell you,' she murmured resignedly. "'This here is a costume for Mrs. Deaconess Buckthorn. "'I brought it home to finish. "'Bidet's work, and I'm always glad to accommodate.' "'Oh, yes, I know you be,' agreed the old lady mordantly. "'Well, if Miss Deaconess Buckthorn's taken to doing her own dressmaking, "'all I got to say is it's about the most unchristian act, "'with us a-stipending on sewing for the victuals we put in our mouths. "'There's somebody knocking at the front door, Malviny.' "'Miss Bennet caught up the kerosene lamp from the table. "'Maybe it's somebody come to look over the fashion plate,' she said hopefully. "'You set the kettle over, Ma, and put that Johnny cake in the oven to warm.' As soon as we've et, I got to whirl in and finish that costume for Miss Buckthorn. She's got her mind made up to wear it Sunday morning to what she calls divine service. Goodness knows why. Against the dim background of swaying trees, the open front door revealed a small frightened face, and Miss Bennet became hazily aware of wide dark eyes, a tumbled mass of curls, and the scarlet curve of parted lips. You pardon, madame, began the unexpected visitor, but my father is become sick of a sudden. Could you, of your kindness, chez madame, tell me of a doctor? Well, I want to know, ejaculated Miss Malvina, shielding the wind-blown lamp with the crook of her elbow. Are you the strange girl just moved in next door? Oh, walk right in, do. Oh, a thousand thanks, madame, but it is impossible. My father suffer. Just you wait a minute till I go and tell Ma and I'll run over with you, volunteered Miss Bennet eagerly. Guess I'd better stop long enough to catch up a shawl and count of my neurology. But the girl had disappeared when Malvina, shawled against the wind, finally returned after appeasing the curiosity of Ma. The little dressmaker made her way through a gap in the ancient hedge which separated the two yards, and finding the side door of the old rice-house ajar, walked boldly in. By the wavering light of a candle which merely served to accentuate the gloom, she beheld a dense clutter of bales, boxes, and the stark outlines of crated furniture, and in an armchair drawn close to an open window, the huddled figure of a man. He was groaning loudly, monotonously, while the girl besought him to drink from the cup she was holding to his lips. "'Well, for goodness sake,' commented Miss Malvina, "'ain't this a pretty kettle of fish? Your pa's sick, and not a bed to put him in. Say what you're giving him in that cup. Some good art to make a ginger, or a dose of Perry Davies' painkiller, will generally stop the gripes.' Oh, if that's what ails him. Have you got any hot water? The girl shook her head. The fire, it will not burn. I give him wine, but he will refuse, as you see. 
Miss Malvina considered, her head on one side like a sagacious sparrow. Well, she said, first off, I'll dash over to Lecty Pratt's. She's got a phone, and I'll call up the doctor. Of course, if it was Ma or me, I'd take Perry Davis, but I don't know nothing about your pa's constitution. I'll be back in two jerks of a lamb's tail and kindle a fire in the kitchen stove. We've got to have hot water, anyhow. The doctor, a big, gruff man, arrived in a snorting little automobile before Miss Malvina had succeeded in starting a reluctant flame in the long, unused stove. No wonder it won't draw, muttered Miss Malvina indignantly. Just look at that there stovepipe. Fairly et up with rust. I'll go over and get my oil stove. Dr. North stared thoughtfully at Miss Malvina over the rim of his spectacles as if the sight of the little dressmaker, her second-best black hair-front, pushed rakishly to one side, was a new and surprising one. He had already jammed his hat well over his eyes and was drawing on his gloves. Miss Malvina was familiar with this wordless verdict, as were most Innisfield folks, to whom the good doctor stood as a merciful arbiter of fate between the here, the heretofore, and the hereafter. Then he ain't dangerous she inferred. He's hungry and done up with moving, growled the doctor. Neither of them have eaten a bite since morning. Get him some good hot tea and a boiled egg, soft, mind you, and a good thick slice of bread and butter. Then put him to bed with a hot brick at his feet. He'll be all right in the morning. Miss Malvina cast a hasty glance about the mouldy old kitchen. "'Whatever possessed em to light down here?' she projected after the doctor's retreating back. "'Seems as the more foreign folk are, the less sense they got. "'The simple idea of taking on like that over an empty stomach.' "'But it was not without strenuous and manifold exertions "'that Miss Malvina succeeded in carrying out Dr. North's simple prescription. "'There was bread in the house, it appeared, a queer, long, crusty loaf.' All rind and no bread, pronounced the little dressmaker disapprovingly. Two eggs, a pinch of tea, and an infinitesimal pat of salty butter she abstracted from her own dwindling stores, to the tune of Ma Bennett's reproaches. You're more than welcome, she told the girl warmly. We shan't never miss that drawing of tea, nor the eggs neither. Our hen laid em. But the invalid opposed a fretful torrent of French to the weak decoction of green tea that Miss Bennett presently offered him. "'I guess he'll make out,' was her well-founded opinion, "'if he can gabble that way. "'Is he saying anything in particular? "'Now you get this ear egg down him, if you can. "'Then sit down and swallow a bite yourself. "'The first thing we know we'll have you keeled up.' The girl looked sweetly puzzled. I know not what is killed, she said, but first I must prepare the vin brûlée. It is that my father requests, not being accustomed to drink thé vert, but thanking you one mille fois, chère madame. I said you was more than welcome, being neighbours, though foreign, chirped the little dressmaker. But I ain't what you might call a madam not being a married woman nor yet wantin' to be so i'll trouble you to call me miss malvina bennett 
i s'pose you know it's downright wicked to put the butter to your neighbour's lips let alone your pa's she added sternly as the girl set a basin of wine over the oil burner i guess we'll have to get a white ribbon pinned on to you maybe it's a leadin of providence you come to dwell in our midst the girl understanding merely that some sort of introduction had been offered showed the edges of her white teeth in a shy smile my father is too ill for polite she said gently but you will permit me to acquaint to you mon père monsieur etienne de say miss miss malvina bennett supplied the good samaritan all at once aware of her false front which had slid down over one ear revealing a mass of curling white hair wind-blown into a maze of glistening silver i guess i look a fright she added as the man's dark eyes suddenly fastened themselves upon her he had struggled to his feet and was bowing low then before she had become aware of his further intent he had taken her hand in both his own and raised it to his lips murmuring broken words of gratitude me my name is madeleine the girl offered with a quaint little curtsy i have most great happiness to know you miss malvina my stars gasped the astounded miss bennett i guess it's high time your pa was got to bed before he gets to raven i'll just run over home and fetch a hot brick like the doctor said she was glad to hide her agitation in the friendly darkness outside to think of that foreign man actually a kissing my hand she said to herself as she slipped through the hedge i never heard of such a thing i wouldn't durst tell ma and him a supping down hot wine like it was a cup of tea i guess you see your duty cut out for you malvina bennett maybe you'll find you can exert an influence as well as other folks more special when the opportunities plump right down in your side yard so to say it was a singularly flushed and complacent miss malvina who finally sat down to a belated repast of dry cornbread and boiled tea ma bennett it appeared felt herself justified in displaying a large assortment of injured feeling i got such an awful sinking at the pit of my stomach she complained i can't eat and all from waiting on you malviny swallow some hot tea down first off ma advised her daughter it'll chirk you up that was just what ailed him but he wouldn't drink his tea after i fixed it all nice for him with milk and sugar and you ought to have heard the heathen lingo he got off but she said he wanted hot wine did you ever if miss deaconess buckthorn was to hear tell of that she'd take him in a blue pledge card to sign said ma they're getting all they can to trim up the church for temperance sunday looks real tasty too all them blue and red cards strung up on yellow cord allowed her daughter but i ain't a-goin to have miss buckthorn button in on this job i took it upon myself ma and don't you tell nobody what i said ma i'm real earnest to do some work for the lord maybe i could get a star or two in my crown that away and according to her own tell miss buckthorn will be so trimmed up with em she'll beat the apostle paul <laughs> now if you'll rinse up these few dishes ma 
I'll whirl in and sew as hard as I can till midnight. I want to get in an hour in the morning to help them folks next door get settled. I don't believe that house has had a broom laid to it in two years. Oh, yes, Taz Malviny, contradicted the old lady. First thing I see was Deacon Scrimger. I guess he had the renting of it. He come along in his wagon and hitched long about two o'clock. I seen him go in the front door. After a spell, he carries out three kitchen chairs and a looking glass and like that and puts em in his wagon. I suppose likely they was left in the house when Philura Rice moved over to the parsonage after she married the minister. Anyhow, he kept a bringing out old broken stuff till there was quite a wagon load. After that, I seen him take a broom and dustpan. Mrs. Bennett interrupted the flow of her remarks to carry the milk pitcher to the pantry. When she returned, her daughter was surveying the unfinished costume she had removed from its wrappings and spread upon a chair. Poignant dismay was depicted upon Miss Malvina's small, anxious face. Did you ever see anything like that? she was saying to herself. Not one of them seems bound, nor even overcast. And you can see where it's pretty nigh busted out already in the back of the arm sizes, just from trying on. When you think of the way Miss Buckthorn leans forward on the pew back during the long prayer, it's easy to see what'd happen. My land, if ever I see a dress thrown together, and that there madam calls it a robe. Malviny Bennett, shrilled the old lady excitedly. Where'd you get that dress? Oh, it was given to me to finish off, Ma, said Miss Malvina, realising the maternal presence too late. I'm going to get good money for doing it, paid right down in my fist. But I don't know what to do about them seams. They won't last out one wearing. Be careful, Ma. I don't know as it'll stand much handling. The old lady, her thin lips puckered into a sagacious knot, was peering at the creation of Mrs. Hobbs' genius. Do you mean to tell me, Malviny Bennett, that Miss Deaconess Buckthorn done that? And she gave it to you to finish off? I ain't a-going to tell you nothing, said Miss Malvina, with a fine show of firmness. Tain't none of our business who done it, Ma. All I know is I got to put my hand to the plough and do something to keep that dress waist from busting out in church disgraceful. Tell you what, I'm going to tape them arm sizes and double stitch em. An angel from heaven couldn't do no more. The loud whir of Miss Malvina's sewing machine drowned a highly coloured description of her childhood, going back to the notable day when Ma Bennett had seen her duty and done it, to the extent of snipping her daughter's youthful tongue with a pair of sharp scissors for telling a wicked lie. Miss Malvina had carefully laid aside her second-best false front, and her abundant white hair curled recklessly over her small head as she ripped and snipped and stitched, being careful to preserve the astonishing ensemble of the purple and brown costume. "'It's enough to make a cat laugh,' she muttered to herself, when at midnight the striped tabby awoke to stretch her pink jaws to their widest and blink sleepily at the finished work Miss Malvina was folding away. "'I done an honest half-day by the clock,' the little dressmaker was telling herself as she crept wearily up to bed. 
and that'll give me time to do for em if they'll let me she paused in the act of drawing down her blind to gaze at the house across the hedge and thrilled at sight of a feeble gleam of light in one of the second-story windows of philura pettibone's old house it seems kind of nice and cheerful to have folks livin' over there again she murmured even if they be furrin and a thinker him a kissin my hand like i was a queen in a history book End of chapter 5